0: And welcome to your review for the 14th of February 2023. I'm your host, as always, Graham Mackay, and I'm joined on this special Valentine's with my personal Valentine. It's Christian Wilf. are you, Christian?
1: Hello, Graham. I had a moment there I thought it was Valentine's Day, and then I luckily realised we were recording this the night before. You so always have uh... to
0: lift You always have to lift the veil to the listener, you know, like
1: they don't they don't need to know how the issue is made It's called uh, Breaking the Fourth Wall and that is one of the few things I learned uh, four years at university So, yeah, it's
0: you just learned it from it's, it's, watching Seinfeld or something I don't
1: know. Probably, yeah, yeah. But Seinfeld, by the way That's, that's uh, <laughs> you, you want to do a oh, podcast on Seinfeld? I should, do you know any like culture podcasts? I can come in and talk about things I've seen or read or, or listened to so, I
0: have to apologise for the Queer Eye, the, the Queer Eye moment. I, I told uh, the, the group chat that um, Queer Eye was starting back a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. and in fact, I had been duped. It was a bo- it was a picture Bobby had put up online uh, that said Netflix February seventh, and it was from five years ago. So technically, the, the new season yeah. of Queer Eye did drop on seventh of February, but it was two thousand
1: eighteen. Quite a senior moment! I'd say. Um, But it is apparently rumours it's December this year. The the guys return. Our friends.
0: I wouldn't be even alive then. That's too far away. (laughs) Um, How are you? How was your week, Christian?
1: You you always say that and you take me off guard. Um, Yeah, I think it was good. I can't remember anything specifically uh, bad that happened. So I I, I think it must have been good. You live very in the moment. Yeah, I think it's about, uh, yeah, <laughs> when you got kids. Um, so yeah, no, it was it was good. Um, was school we'll go holidays, uh, also oh, wow. a weekend this year as well. So yeah, no, I don't. I can actually remember what I did, I don't think I did anything major. How, how about yourself? What are we planning on? I like the idea
0: that you you say I ask it every week, but I also also always take you off guard. I mean, yes. it's, 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 it just doesn't really make sense. Uh, the Norway planning can now go into full pelt because uh, uh, Kristen has her days off, booked, and uh, I'm going to book the the flights tonight. Munich, Munich to Oslo. So
1: there you go. And, Get um, ready to not have any money ever again. Yeah, after this break, have time.
0: I'm just going to like what, should, what is the the kind of version of like
1: farm foods in Norway? Uh, Waitrose. That's no, it doesn't sound I, right. I, I don't actually know. I haven't been shopping in Norway for a long Well I, I, I do go to the shop when I'm there occasionally. But don't mean really to do the big shop. And you wouldn't um, be you hell, know, exactly I what? I wonder if it's um Joker. I think it's pretty cheap. But it's not like farm food cheap. So you've got um Rematusan, Remy, the co op, Joker. Oops. Oops' a good one. That's oops. a big shop. Oops. OBS Oops. So Okay. No, I mean, we need to talk about Oslo. That's, you know, it's my expertise. I can show you some of you can go in some of my footsteps.
0: I mean, uh, I have I read should. seven Harry Hola novels now, so yes. I feel as if like I'm an expert. So
1: I don't, don't think I've read one. But yeah, so um Changing of the Guards, obviously, at the castle. One of my uh, old stomping grounds. Um, I think
0: you should know, uh, Christian, I'm not a royalist, and no one listened to this
1: podcast. It's it's a different kind of role, mate. Just, the Norwegian ones are mad. They, they're, they're good. I mean,
0: yeah, no. I don't think people want to hear about the, the the Norwegian royal family, but what people do want to hear about
1: yeah, is you. Sure.
0: So, it's not really you. As you talking about stats and stuff. Yes. I, want to, I want to touch on the question that came into the weekend update uh, a few days ago. It seemed very, I don't know what you think, Christian, it seemed very aimed at you, despite it not being asked of you. It was along the lines of certain analysts using, kind of cherry-picking data points and then not being willing to change your opinion about players. I think, it, to me, if it, I could be wrong if it was if it came off the,
1: the back of the discussion of Aaron Moy. So what you're saying is about you because you brought the stats up, actually, having listened to that back, I think you're a bit of a pot stirrer. I, I can see that not being about us, that question. I think you're giving uh was it Chris a hard time there because he didn't actually mention Moy. Then Gal comes up and jumps at Moy. I think maybe you and Gal are just stirring a bit here.
0: But what, what do you that's, think? That's, that's why I think in general of this because you, yes. you, you do hear it quite often that, uh, yes. that people will be cherry picking stats. Yes, kind of fit their narrative and they're never willing to change because you can always go to other stats to kind of <laughs> show that this they're, they're still they're still correct. So I mean if you if if you if you play along for a second and you, yes. you consider that Chris's question from the weekend update was aimed directly at you and your opinions, <laughs> your your negative opinions of Aram what would you what would you have to say in response?
1: First of all, wait till you hear this podcast because <laughs> I'm I'm actually not that down on Aramoi. So I think yes. I think part of sounds a bit grandiose calling yourself an analyst, but I guess if you want to try and talk about stat, work with that put a content that revolves around that, you, you do have, a, I guess, a responsibility to look at it in a rounded way and to not not to cherry pick stuff. But I also comes down with trying to understand like we talked about a lot before what stats actually, what do they say and what do they not say and what can you take from it? so on. So I think last time I, I was, because you tried to say, oh look, these stats prove that O'Reilly is, is better than Mo and I was like, well I'm always really, really reluctant to try and take any sort of, I guess what we call qualitative conclusions for, from stats. You know, this exception starting you know, on team stats and stuff, you can be a bit more secure, but I think what we talked about, like Matt O'Reilly has at least an offensive stat output, like things like expected assists, uh specifically, that is higher than Iron Royce. But that way, <laughs> it only proves that. That's the only thing it proves what it only proves what it says. That he has Created more chances than Aramoi, like that. But what I say, you have to be very careful to take any sort of conclusions just from that. It can inform your view, and it can be a good, I guess, check on your own eyes. As we said before, like if we're so deep into a team like Celtic, the stats need to be a support to that. It can give you information about a player's style, what their actual output is, and but well, you have to be able to put it into context and to do that, I think you just have to keep watching games and keep re-watching the games and be open to it because yeah, I mean it's it, the public stat news at the moment is probably annoying me more than ever because I think is a lot of it is', is, is purely content driven and it's so little context in a lot of it, but it comes like whereas before I've kind of just tried to weigh in those things and and you will go down a rabbit hole on Twitter. I just can't be bothered anymore. Mm. So I, I think it's just, as I said, you, you need to be able to understand the stat and try to give a rounded view of the stats. Do you occasionally see some stats that back your opinion up and say, yeah, I might put that. So yeah, I, I think most people probably do that. But as we said before as well, that I think where I think Chris is might have, it's giving, you know, um, I'm on Chris's side here. What he might also have pointed towards was the discussion about Hatate and Hatate stats compared to Moy, and Turnbull, and and O'Reilly. Because I think we said at the time as well that you know if you look at Turnbull, somebody else we were going to talk about today, David Turnbull's stats compared to Rio Hatate's. I mean, they, in one way they were interesting because of Turnbull's stat output and and Hatate's maybe. Not as offensive stats as we think. But I think, as we said at the time, like, even though we absolutely believe Riotati is a lot better than David Turnbull, it'd be really easy for us to go <laughs> see those stats, terrible stats. See these stats that <laughs> Michelle them O'Reilly has better stats than Aaron Boy. Well, let's look at them. So uh, I think it works both ways when you see stats like that as well, that they can be like, a, as I've said before many times, a conversation starter. And you can look into the the context of and why is that but I think for us when we look into one team so much it's, it's more about actually watching the games to be than than trying to make conclusions out of stats rather than stats can give you pointers and it can show certain output to certain players, it can compare styles of them or we'll compare somebody on loan. Uh, From something maybe at the end of this podcast, if I start, if I stop answering this first question at some point. But yeah, I I think it's, you can't take any conclusive, any, you know, concrete conclusion from from stats alone. You just can't.
0: And I think maybe a kind of misconception of what we do um, is that we, we kind of print off the stats from the week and just base opinions on that when. The stuff that you share with me throughout the week, and uh, and this is going to be something that we're talking about this week as well, is mostly clips of the game and mostly visuals from the game. As you rewatching it and highlighting things to me, it's not you basing things based uh, basing your opinions based on uh, like data that's come in, as you rewatching the game. Eighty percent of what you you're talking about is because you rewatched the game.
1: I, th- I think it's probably more than that. Um, I mean, it's, you've labelled every single image. Uh, I've sent you today. I think you've done it just to, to hint that it's too much. But it's, uh, what, it's how many images have we got? 30. 31. And I think. Okay, 31. Uh, who's counting? And I think about 27 of them are, are stills from, from the movie, uh, from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Something somewhere in, out. Directed out out by downstairs. Martin
0: Scorsese.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, from the video. So yeah, in terms of how, I look specifically at Celtic at the moment. It, it's, it's 80 90 percent is purely um, watching the games back because mm-hmm. that's what we do. Like I mean, I think what we talked about before is if if you do stuff like scouting reports and looking at team stats, like the opposition analysis, I probably rely on stats a bit more because, for example, with Samarin, I can I can rank Samarin in terms of the possession, the pressing stats, the attacking defensive stats in the league. Because I don't have, I just, you know, I actually don't have time to watch every single, you know, premiership game and do that. So I can base a lot of the style of somebody like Samarin off the stats first. And then I will go in before like a game like this. I'll look at my old notes from the last Celtic games and I'll try and look at some of their recent games like quickly in terms of how they press and stuff like that to to get kind of, but that's, that's, that's helping me almost time wise to give me like an indicator. And the same with the scouting report is like we do the data reports you know, for players that are linked with Celtic and it gives us a good overview in terms of, you can compare the stat output to every other midfielder, for example, in in the world, and it gives you a good snapshot. It gives you a good starting point. But if you really wanted to do, like you know, we did with Stephen and Aaron, to to the scouting report, that's just one part of it. You'd have to go and actually watch the player, as you say. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, as you know, I think what we talk about here is pretty much all driven by watching it and re-watching it and me sending you lots of screenshots, I guess. And then also there's, there's a part of that you, you look at the stats and you see if there's any trends that, you know, kind of aligns or maybe doesn't align so you want to go back and, and look at it. I think today is a good example of where the stats kind of meet the eye test and what we watched as well, but I guess we've got to get on to that.
0: Yeah, and um, this is all to say that we're going to change things up a little bit with by the, with the way that we do this and that I have labelled all the images that we talk about on the podcast. And what we're going to do is Gal is going to email all the subscribers with uh, essentially a a Word document or some kind of document with uh, each of the the images that we're talking about labelled. So when you are listening to this, and if you've maybe started to listen to this without checking your emails, you should have an email and that shows you every single image that we're going to be talking about, unfortunately. It would be good if we could share the little video clips that Christian can share with me. But SPFL, TV deal,
1: not going to let that happen. I mean, if it's, uh, I'm sure the subscribers wouldn't tell him. If, yeah. If uh, look, tell you what, go and have a look. It's the 90 minutes of the <laughs> Because sometimes they end up there. So <laughs> I'm sure we can add them there.
0: Yeah, and uh, so we're going to try. We'll try and not forget uh, to say image one or image two before talking about something. I will try and keep uh, Christian on track with that, uh, well, but that may not be perfect yeah. first time.
1: Okay, that's good because now, as long as you haven't, I'll open your ones because you've labelled all of them. Yeah. Although I, I'm quite peculiar about having things at the top of the page as well, so don't maybe. Okay, anyway, yeah. you, you keep me right. So.
0: So and and I didn't actually do do the, the the numbering to shame you. I thought a few minutes before we started recording, I'll go in and just label label the images, thinking there'll be maybe five or six. The sixteen pages of notes with thirty one images. I was not expecting that as a last minute piece of work to do. Uh, so I'm sorry you had
1: to do a bit of work.
0: Just just, just it's just, just a bit so, of griping. Just a bit of yeah. So let's move on swiftly to talk about the the game versus St. Martin we we beat them 5-1 we've there's been a reaction the agenda's spoken about it obviously we're now going to look at it from a, a colder point of view based on emotionless rewatching of the game because yes. uh, that's the, the emotionless uh, android that, that Christian is what were what's what was the over overriding story of the game christian where do you want to start
1: let's start with stats stats never lie so no, I, <laughs> I think obviously, again, it's a game I talked about a lot where for periods of the game, Celtic is frustrated. Maybe it's not quite clicking yet. We've had a lot of those games lately, but in the end, Celtic come true. And in one way, I think it's just a repeat of that because that is, is what happens. But I think it's this game, and you know, you, you scoffed at like my 31 images, he said it's an unimportant cup game. But I think, I say, that this game might be actually, maybe a bit surprising, but a really good indicator for the Derby and a good you know, session for, for Celtic in front of the Derby and something mm-hmm. to make me a little bit nervous in terms of the Derby as well. Because I think, first of all, some, the way St. set up frustrated Celtic Maybe more than a lot of other teams recently. I think it's a really good reason for that. But I think it's also a case that they they would have been a lot more similar to what I think Celtic will face against Rangers in in the final, not the semi final, as I continuously labelled it on the last podcast, but on, on the League Cup final. So I think overall it turned out to be a lot more interesting game tactically um, than maybe a thought So, but the story of that is obviously that. <laughs> Up until no, Celtic end this game on an XG of 3.7.
0: This is image Sam, one, people, image one. Thank you.
1: And um, Samarina has an uh, XG of 1.2, but oh, that's including penalties. But after, before the triple sub comes on 63 minutes, Celtic had a total of XG of 0. 0.73. Samarina has 0. 0.36. But if you even distill it a bit further from Dice have a header at 28th minute until the Alabada has another headed shot in the 64th minute, so just after the triple shot. Celtic had three shots. One of them is Kyle McGregor trying to lob the goalkeeper from about 40 yards. Um, and the two others ones are from like two corners in a row in injury time in the first half. So in that period from the 29th to the 63rd minute, and she took about five minutes of intro time in the first half as well, three, three shots, 0.23 in X, 0.23 versus 0.23 XG. So Samarin and Celtic completely the same in terms of that, to open play. Samarin was actually creating more. So you go, so I think that's a really interesting period to look at because obviously once the sub comes on and then you get the penalty in the red card, Right. After that, it, it kind of becomes you know not as useful, I think, in terms of the tactical aspect of it. So I think we need to focus a lot on that part of the game in the middle. But also, I guess, we can start in terms of the context of, of submarine and what they did, because as expected, as we talked a lot about before, the way St. set up, again, a 5-3-2. And again, with what we kind of get used to when facing these fight three, 2 is that teams will in some way like Mark Carl McGregor, they're done in different ways. And then you have this aspects of since they have three center backs and only three in midfield as well, that spare center back jumps up and kind of creates four in the middle at certain points. And I think image two and three, I've kind of put in oh, <laughs> put in two examples of how aggressive St. Mary's centre-backs did that. So it's image two, you can see David Turnbull has gone all the way out to the left-hand side inside his own half. But the right centre-back uh, Fraser um, has jumped all the way up. And you can see in, in the other image as well, a bit later, again, David Turnbull is inside his own half and the right centre-back first has jumped all the way up on him. Essentially what happens is as soon as David Turnbull or Aaron on the other side, gets beyond that line of a midfield tree, especially if the ball is that wide, the closest centre-back jumps up and essentially compresses the space but I mean image trees is the put up as well because you also see how far up the right wing back comes so this is um Jota that's fallen quite far down to receive the ball and the right wing back is all the way up but you can also see where Aramoi is also beyond the submarine midfield tree but then you have the, actually the middle centre back Gallagher has come all the way up as well so you should see like there's Eight of the Sumerian players are squeezing Celtic together from the strikers are at one side of the centre circle, and Gallagher there is on the other side of the centre circle in terms of that. So it's a very aggressive use of the centre-backs, but also compressing that space. So so I think this was seen throughout the game. It's it's a very aggressive block, essentially. It's not like we go back to the Aberdeen game where they just sat way, way back. This is completely different. And this this is the same formation, but it's a completely different way of doing it.
0: So, surely uh, one way of uh, combating that would be to have fast runs in behind. Because, I mean, if if they're putting their their line so aggressively high, then surely a Celtic tactic would be to try and drop balls over the defence.
1: And, Graham Mackay, I think Celtic. At the start of this game they do quite well i mean they do it to a degree that i think you know the getting someone out of that block quite well so that is on the left hand side for example image four so this is a situation where Maeda is put through and hits the post with his cross come shot so you had a lot of fun with um uh, on, on the reaction um but here you see, like image four. So now we're talking about image four and five. Because at this point, and we'll get back to this, is, at this point here, this is a ten element. David Turnbull positions himself between the Samira and the midfield tree and the back line pretty early in the build-up. So he gets into that position between those pretty early. So he's it's almost before Greg Taylor receives the ball, and I think that's a lot of key because when David Turnbull goes into that space, it triggers the movement from the right center back. And it gives Greg Taylor a couple of seconds to react to what happens when that movement comes. And I put image five is, is this whole situation from a different angle, but you see so clearly there. So what happens is that when David Turnbull gets into that space. The right center back jumps up, gives Greg Taylor a, more, a second or two to kind of look up. And because you have Days Maeda on the left, we'll get back to there as well. He can pop the ball straight into the space vacated by the right centre back because you have Maeda's speed and the timing because you've got Greg Taylor's really quite extraordinary vision and technique to hit that ball, and you have David Turnbull, in my opinion, arriving in that space at the right time. It all has a dominant effect. Right, he pulls the right centre back out, and, and you know, and the ball to Maeda, from is is really good. So they did that right. And then a little bit right later, this is image number six. Um, it, it, something similar happened in terms of the early movement fr- from Turnbull in that space pulls the right centre back out again. Taylor laces off to, to Turnbull, he laces off to Jota. But what it does is because Turnbull has kind of arrived in the, that area at the right time, right centre back's pulled out. Greg Taylor can just go boom right into the half space where the the space that vacated by the right center back so that's it that's what we call it it's a good rotation right and it's it's so we were kind of getting to those kind of um situation creating that movement on the left hand side, but they were also creating it on the right hand side and that happened i mean the first chance after nearly a minute you can see it's the left center back. Uh, Some Taylor. He's rushing out of the RMO who's right at the edge of his of the half.
0: And this is mh seven?
1: seven. he seven yes. gives the ball to Jota, and because his pull jumped out, then Jota has that space to run into. Like so, again, we working on left, working on right. The first goal obviously comes from a very similar situation on on the right hand side. And in this situation, and you see it really clearly on so this is image eight and image nine. It's not just the left centre back Taylor that jumps up on Aaron Moy. It's also the right centre back Fraser has followed Turnbull. He's jumped up on Turnbull. He's following Turnbull over, uh, as Turnbull is is behind the midfield tree. So essentially, you, you you're leaving Gallagher alone. His two other center backs just left him. They jumped up and he's alone against Maeda. And because, you know, it, it, it turns into a, a running match between Aaron Moy and then Taylor, the, uh, Richard Taylor, the, the left center back, about the releases to the ball at the right point, Aaron Moy makes it exactly the right run. And I think because, especially because he's up against a a centre-back to his own rapid, you know, he's in. And because <laughs> David Turnbull has pulled, I, I mean, I think Fraser shouldn't jump out on Turnbull phone, but he's, Turnbull's making the run, Fraser has jumped out on him, he's left Gallagher all alone and Moy can square it to Mayada. So, Celtic in the first 15, 20 minutes, I guess up until kind of Kyogos, um, oh, this is slightly this is like after Kyogos' uh, injury but at that point, you know this is working. You know, it, 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 Samir's block was still doing well, and Celtic weren't getting too lots of chances. But they were making those runs. They were pulling this, the the centre backs out, and then they popping the ball in behind them and, and doing it quite well.
0: And is this so? Obviously, you you spoke about there's been a kind of dress rehearsal, and we, we've seen uh, Bill especially employ the whole uh, mind marking of Callum McGregor. But would you be expecting this kind of like? Uh, Aggressive centre back play from Rangers as well. I, I mean, I don't, don't think I've ever seen that from them.
1: Not in the same degree, and that's really because they, they'll only have two centre backs, right? So, so they will they will do this a little bit different because they'll have. I reckon they will have more of a midfield four when Celtic have the ball. So they'll have the two strikers, but then you'll have Kent coming in, you know, as a in and sitting on McGregor, and then you'll have three midfielders behind that as well so they will essentially they'll have Rangers two number eights will cover celtics two number eight kent will cover mcgregor and then you'll have usually have a spare man so in the last game lundstrom was the kind of the spare midfielder who you can kind of co- so he would maybe jump out say if i'm if the ball went to one of the fullbacks one of the Ancient number eights can jump out to the fullback, but then they would have that spare for midfielder and Lundstrom to come over. So, so it will be different. So this is, I think, the, the centre back is jumping up is very much and a, like a, you know, the a, a word I'm looking for? It's a part of this kind of 5-3-2 system because you have to do it that way. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you will always be one. Celtic will have one more than uh, in, you in the midfield areas. So I think overall, I mean. It wasn't perfect in the first 20, 25, but at least there was a little bit more going on on, on both sides. But then um, mm-hmm. we do get into this spell, then this really dry spell from about probably start run, you know, a bit after 20 minutes, 25 minutes, all the way really to the triple soap comes, And that period is, I guess, not good at all. And it's, it's really five, trying to break them down into different, because there's a lot of things going on. But I think it's like five main issues we can talk about. I think most of them are quite relevant to to the Derby as well. Just taking a wee breath to go. Just uh, had all my water. so But I'm, I'm ready to go now. Really? Um,
0: you're you re-energized.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so issue one, you know, we talked about Kamagarga being marked a lot, in, in specific landmarks. And the way St. Raymond did this is that they left the two strikers wide they didn't really man mark mcgregor at all but they would have they would always have their middle central midfielder and you know this game is, it was Gogic. and he would jump up mcgregor if he tried to receive the ball between those two strikers Oh, which image is this it's image 10 grand
0: thank you
1: and you can see an example of this and what can happen is that i guess Greg Taylor because he's Greg Taylor and he's great. Um I think you kind of recognize this as Taylor. well. Yes. So he started you see image 11 and also image 12. Greg Taylor would come into the center circle, almost, you know, beside Calvin McGregor. In image 11 you can see that Goggish kind of he, he was on Calvin McGregor but then Greg Taylor kind of pops into the space he's supposed to be controlling and wants the ball from CCV and he leaves Calvin McGregor alone. So CCV opens up a nice passing lane from CCV to, to McGregor and that sets up a chance with the batter down the right. And so Greg Taylor kind of kept doing that. So he would come in and if you see image 12, it wasn't, I don't know if this is Godridge kind of instruction, but he wasn't just following McGregor. He was kind of following and jumping on Greg Taylor in the situation, Greg Taylor would come into the center as well. So uh, I think that had the potential to be very effective because you kind of then the question of Gogesh specifically. Look, like, do you pick up Greg Taylor or, or do you pick up Cal McGregor? Or do you try to rotate and do that? For me here, his probably what it came in with one of my frustrations is my first is like the center back passing. I mean, image 13 is a point, this is kind of just after, it's about 10, 15 seconds after image 12, where Greg Taylor comes back into the centre circle. Cal McGregor has made a run out wide. He's pulled Godchard's with him, so you can see. And then Greg Taylor moves into the open space. So Godchard's is like, oh, oh, shit. You know, he's Greg Taylor's coming into the centre circle. I'm way out wide. You can see Greg Taylor, say, the ball is on CCB's feet saying. I'm here, you know. <laughs> play it to me, and he doesn't. So, it, CCB kind of, you know, waits a bit. It goes wide, and then image fourteen sees some Greg Taylor making the same movement, and you can see Goody between Greg Taylor. This is image fourteen between Taylor and McGregor. and yeah, there's not much space to. But if CCB plays Greg Taylor there. he's he's got a decision to make he He can commit he can can send it to McGregor and and suddenly then you've broken through that line and you can attack in space so I I think that was an issue in terms of I think one of the things with CCV for me and Starfield as well is that it's a bit too safe in those situations and it's a bit too slow and they'd rather do it sideways or if they do one ball, you know, the, the one try it again, and it's 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 not. I think that domino effect you can have that that can have that you kind of doesn't go quickly enough. But I don't think what also happens is these kind of, is kind of related is you can see image fifteen is that David Turnbull comes deep in this build up, right? And I think we can maybe talk a little bit is. Him and Aaron Moy came a lot deep in this when Celtic was kind of playing around the back and, and Samir was pressing high. I don't know if it's always the best idea to do that because you bring the whole team after, you know, you kind of maybe to stay up. But when they do do that, at least he drags the right centre-back with him all the way. So you can see image 15. That's the one among, that's the right centre-back. The right centre-back almost at the top of the center circle in Celtics' half when David Turnbull receives the ball. Now, at, as you can see at image 15, so I we've got about six outfield players in Celtics' half. And if you look at it, so this is image 16 again. So the ball goes back to Starfeld from Turnbull. And now the, the right-handed striker and the right-handed segment midfielder they can kind of anticipating maybe a ball will go out to Taylor and that's not an easy ball for Starfield to do, but he could make it. And if he do make it, and I don't think it's... I mean, if, if he hits that first time, he'll he'll hit Greg Taylor. Greg Taylor won't have a lot of time, but with Greg Taylor's technique, he can turn and then suddenly... Celtic would probably have a four against four in the whole of St. Marion's half because St. Marion has committed so high up. Even if Starfield quickly sends it to CCV or try to hit Anthony Johnson on the other side, Anthony Johnson is, is in a lot of space as well. That, this could be a real transition moment where Celtic could just got rid of six Sumerian players in their own half and go back up. Something like this kind of setup. And this is a good aggressive setup for Summerin, but well, this is exactly the kind of thing which Celtic would face in Europe and they might face in the Derby. And then <sighs> Stafford kind of just stumbles back, right? And he sends it all the way back to heart. So. And it's not a mistake per se, but it you don't take that opportunity to play around St. Mirren. And I mean, to remind you, 1-0 up against home, against St. Mirren. I mean, this is probably the kind of situation where you want to try these things. Mm. You know? <laughs> so I, I think my issue with the centre-backs is CCB and Starfield's general ball to like end their first touch. I think it's a lot about a lot of these things we're talking about is by getting the Celtic team into certain areas in space two, three seconds faster. It's not about big dribbles or line splitting passes all the time. It's about moving the ball quickly, confidently, so that you arrive into certain spaces, say, behind the midfield tree, one, two seconds before they're kind of set. And I think what you often see with CCB and Starford's general ball technique. Alistair Johnson is slightly guilty of this as well. Their first touch just isn't great. The first mm. touch just doesn't set up a pass. So it takes them one or two seconds to set their body, maybe take another touch. And by then, it's gone. Like, the opportunity is gone. So, yeah, it, I don't think the centre-by passing was was great at all.
0: It, I mean... As you said, if, we, if we're not willing to do it against Mun, then we're never going to be able to do this in the Champions League. And uh, I think that's one of the, the major problems that we're, we're going to face. And uh, they obviously they spoke about it on the agenda, about uh, obviously Kieran and his love for, for UK. Um mm-hmm. But we we have this problem in that the, basically the whole Celtic support a lot of people are now talking about CCV as being the best central defender of their lifetime, watching Celtic, and CCV get the man of the match for this game. Mm-hmm. But we're we're now at a situation where. We need more from these defenders, and I think we've we've spoken about that before. And we actually have some questions about it. Sir so Manny on on podcast often speaks about how his one demand or his first demand of a centre back is to be able to defend. But Christian, there's a lot of times in this league where we don't need our defenders to be defending, and that is because we're so overwhelming when it comes to being able to de- de- destroy other teams. The, the the things that you were just speaking about there, they kept coming into my head. That if we were if we were good enough, we would have destroyed them because they were leaving massive holes for us to destroy them with. Mm-hmm. If we were able to patch around them quickly. So I just want to go into these two questions. We've got one from Liam and one from Troy. I'll start with Liam. He said, "Hi, just got the agenda. Thanks for picking up my question on and Kobayashi and the centre back discussion in general was interesting. I have a follow up if that's okay." It's sort of linked with my initial question, but can we use different centre-backs against different teams' setups? As you guys touched on Starfield and Kobayashi, clearly have different styles and trade-offs, so can we mix them up like we do with the attack? For example, could Starfield play against teams who offer more in attack, but Kobayashi, where we play against teams with maybe less of an attack and threat, and we're playing out from the back as a more important requirement? Okay, what do you think about that one, first of all? No, no, no.
1: no. You know, Liam is a stalwart of the Christmas, and it's 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 definitely a, a clear logic in that. But for me it's more, see the better teams that might have more attacking output against Celtic. In a way it's, it's then even more important that the centre-backs can pass. Because you will face more like you do with Saint-Mermain here. That you have a higher press, you have a more aggressive press, you have a more clever press. So Whereas I think, I guess, low-block teams, ugh, it'd be great to have, you know, some line-splitting passes, a defender that takes the ball out, the move is quickly. But the really key parts, if Celtic want to progress, if they want to cut through the Rangers press, if they want to do well in Europe, it's that it's against the really good teams. <laughs> you need the centre-backs to, to be better on the ball. So, I don't think it will work and say, oh, against teams that might attack us more, we'll have Carl Starfield. Because in those games, Carl Starfield will be under bigger pressure when he tries to take the ball out. Because I don't, I know, because <laughs> Celtic's not going to change their style, Graham. I don't know if you've um, no, paid attention to this, no, no. but I don't think Ashley's going to change that. So, I think you just need Celtic, need to, essentially, to be able to progress, Celtic need to have better ball playing. You know, the, the centre-backs need to be quicker on the ball, they need to be better on the ball. I think in, in most case games domestically, yeah, sometimes it's, it's a bit annoying if it goes a bit slow or something, but they're able to step up and they're able with all the movements in front of them because against weaker teams you should have a very good you know, Celtics movement on top. It's very good. So your centre-backs actually doesn't have to be great on the ball to hit good passes, if that, if that makes sense, because they'll have so much good movement in front of them. They'll have a lot of space. They'll have a lot of time. And they're professional footballers, so they can do that. But it's, it's these situations. It's games like this against St. Marin. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. But it's in games like the kind of where St. Marin sets up, only St. Marin with good players. That's when you need it. Mm-hmm. So... uh I, I do think in a okay, defenders are gonna defend, but for, for Kobayashi is playing you know, senior football in the Japanese league as a centre back. He knows how to defend. Right? So uh, I I kind of re- reject this notion that you can't have centre backs that can do a bit of both. I right, then it's I mean so, Maurice Jens was a,
0: a, a starting centre back in League and he can't defend.
1: So you oh, well. couldn't pass either, so 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 no, I I, I don't think I think you want your centre back partnership. I think we're something like and, and the trade off is this. Let's get on to CCV a bit later, but Carl Starfeld is by no means faultless defensively either. Like, he really isn't, and especially not lately. You know, he, and I don't think he's like a walking bomb scare in any way, because it's, in, in a way, he's probably been a little bit underrated in, in terms of, he is pretty consistent, but he he makes mistakes. Mm. He makes mistakes in big profile games. He kind of rushes out. You go back to the, you know, the, the league of and, and things like that. So it's not like you have two defenders who are faultless defensively and any defender that sent about you know wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, could actually comes in and gets a run of games. He's going to make mistakes defensively. Yeah, but he's also strong, quick. You know, guy is is knows he also knows how to defend. So, or he can do other things as well. And I kind of, can of get? I totally get that. To, yeah, I don't see. I wouldn't be clamoring for Ange to break up this centre back partnership just now. But honestly, I don't think you can start the two of them and a lot of people say oh they didn't get a run in the Champions League and so on but um, I don't think the problem in the Champions League about that the defenders weren't defending is, is because they weren't you know good enough for the ball and they weren't aggressive enough pushing up and you know taking risks so no I guess it's the question I, I think simply these games crystallise why you need at least one more defender in there who's just better ball just better technique
0: I mean, I've got two two questions based on that, and that that is one of them. There actually, it's, would it would our problems be more or less solved with one of these? One of our centre backs been good on the ball, uh, and do you think overall Celtic Celtic operate with a budget that will mean that we are actually able to fully realise Ange at some point? Do we have the budget for Ange Because every every team in the world yeah. is looking for this ball playing centre back. No,
1: but I, I think I, I think that's kind of like a, a myth that. There isn't defenders who can defend and, and play the ball. Like that's that's not like a twenty million pound unicorn, or you happen to pick up like like someone like Christopher Ayer for, for or Virgil van Dijk for for no the money. These centre backs are really not good on the ball. Like, you know, it, 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 I think there is a. It, they are very good. The their forte is the defending. And they're absolutely you know, good enough to win Celtic the league, but that's not what we're talking about here. Mm. They need to, be, if you want to do, If you want to play Ansh's style in Europe, you need players who are better on the ball. You need to be able to more pressing system. Does it help us save if, if Kobayashi comes in? Yeah, because I don't think... I haven't seen much of it, but I'd be surprised if there's a big let-off defensively in Kobayashi. I don't think so. You'll gain something offensively, but that is, it's not just that because obviously it's not individually you do see other things as well. I mean, I had Joe Hart on the list here. I think that's an issue when when your goalkeeper is not confident. We talked about Alistair Johnston as well he's got certain qualities, but good technique, good first touch is not one of them, so it could be actually with help. And I think you saw glimpses of what he can do when he's on the pitch but it's it's not a miracle cure right It needs to be. And I also think part of this for me is I've said it, that none of them have great first touching techniques CCV, Starple, Johnson, and Hart. But it's also an issue of just actually having the confidence to do it. Because you know, I've talked to Def about this, but see the last few Rangers games in the last season. I think they were just, it's a bit unfair just going back to Joe Hart, not wanting to play the ball, not being confident enough to do it. And I think there's a partly a mindset of it as well to just be able to do it. And if you can't do it against Samaran, I mean, come on. So I think this, is, it, it was a game for me where I go, no, I, I just, I really like Carl Stelford. I really like Carmen Carton Wickers. Um, I'm, I'm learning to, to like Alistair Johnson's certain side of them as well and I, I, Joe Hart as well. But honestly, if that's the back five of starts next season. Oh, more likely than not, you're going to run into the same exact same issues in the exact same games.
0: Well, let's go on to the second centre back question. This one's from Troy. Uh, Hi, lads, given likely changes up front with all coming in and us finding it difficult to deal with Rangers pressing and crowding out McGregor, what strategy would you adopt for the upcoming Cup final? And I think we'll, we'll answer this question based on the fact that it's going to be th- the same defence that we've been talking about and they're probably going to have the same issues. So, knowing that in two weeks' time we're not going to have the ability to tip for CCB and Starfelt to quickly become lightning-fast passers that are going to take on adventurous uh, passes through the needle. How do you think this specific current Celtic team with its foibles is going to go about winning this cup?
1: Well, it kind of leads on to my issue number two, right? Um, <laughs> is that Celtic centre backs aren't, or Q goalkeeper aren't great on the ball. But there is also a lot to do with the movement in front of them. And then especially when you crowd out Carl McGregor, get okay, what you do look at. Yeah. The fullbacks, but also the number eights, right? And I think what you had with Moy and Turnbull specifically in this game is they can get quite static and they can very ball seeking. And I think you can, quote unquote get away with one of them because... What do you mean
0: by ball seeking?
1: Well, it, David Turnbull had this thing where he just seeks the ball instead of making a run, right? He, he'll run towards the ball rather than trying to move into space. Like he, he's, I think that's his main issue, right, in terms of he just seeks the ball. I mean, I guess we're kind of getting on to, like, an Image 17, but um, in terms of if the centre-backs... So the centre-backs are not magic shape. on, Alison Johnson's going to be your right back. And Joe Hart's going to be your goalkeeper. So you do look at those number eights. That I think <laughs> image 17, you can kind of see, I think part of the problem you, you had, i call him a bit static number eight. Because when the Starfield sends the ball out to Greg Taylor, Turnbull is he's in front of his equivalent number eight, so he's not really beyond the Samirin midfield tree. Now, and then four seconds later, if you see image eighteen, he's still not beyond Celtic's uh, Samirin's midfield tree. And what that really does for me is we talked about earlier, like for that. Greg Taylor's pass to Maeda, Turnbull arrived in that space between St. Mary's midfield tree and defensive line. I think a lot better time because it triggers that jump out from the St. Mary's centre-back. But because Turnbull is so static, because he kind of seeks the ball, because he's almost hiding behind his, you know, um, I think his backers there, it doesn't trigger any movement in the St. Mary's defensive line. It doesn't even give Greg Taylor a chance to pass it to Turnbull because it's too close to his man. It doesn't vacate any space for Maeda to, to run into. So, this is a bit earlier with Maeda, so out wide. So, when the ball goes wide, image 18, you can see there's two center backs on Maeda. Right? Um, so, there's no really any i uh, tell it why like that's image 19 I'm talking about. So, but you can see, so this is 17, 18, and 19 all together in, in one sequence. In image 18, you see the center back, the right center back doesn't have to jump up into that space because Turnbull's not there. And this is like four seconds after the first one. And in image 19, if you span see, the ball goes wide, but you can see, this has got two center backs. David Turnbull arrived in the space he's getting into now, two, three seconds beforehand which he easily have done. The right centre-back would have jumped up. There would have been a bit more movement. Greg Taylor might be able to find him. Or the space for the editor on into could have been there of or, 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 or Jota. So uh, I, I think that was an issue. And again, you know, image 20, you can see uh, David Turnbull again when the ball goes from Carr Stahlfeld to Greg Taylor. Again, I think it's, it's one, two seconds too late to making that run see so when that ball goes out to Greg Taylor you want to give Greg Taylor one, two three seconds to control it look up see the movement because if David Turnbull makes this run two, three seconds earlier into that space between the midfield line and the defense so right centre back jumps up and there's a domino effect of movement but it, it just doesn't do that David Turnbull he's, he's so static he's so close to the ball and, and he does it occasionally. You know, we talked about the Greg Taylor pass to earlier. He, he, that that's on. It's not that like he doesn't do it at all. He does do it, but it's not often enough, and especially in this period where it kind of struggling to get in. And I guess, you know, Aaron White, I'll get back to Aaron White. I think he's a little bit guilty of this game as well. You know, Image 21 is him, um, again, running towards Alistair Johnson. He's got the left centre-back Taylor jumping up on him. He should be pulling him with him. He should be like trying to get into that space because he'll then pull Taylor away. He'll create some movement. Things can open up for Alistair Johnston. So uh, these eights will, will often come up, you know, in, in those situations. And to were building up, getting into the halfway line. Those number eights were just essentially too static. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't move soon enough, quickly enough, or didn't move at all. They wanted to meet the ball a lot. As well, and they kind of—I think—it didn't really. It was an issue for Celtic in terms of creating space when they go into that position half. But the other part of that is when they come—they came really deep in the build-up as well. And we talked—we talked about this a bit earlier for the centre-backs. So they come really deep in the build-up, way into their own half to maybe help out the centre-backs. And that, as we said, that can be a clever move. If you bring then the submarine centre backs all the way into Celtic's half, you bring it back to the centre backs. Centre backs they are great; they ping the ball around. You suddenly got lots of space behind you, but because Celtic's centre backs aren't able to take those chances or to play it through that high press, with the number eights coming deep, it kind of just compresses the space for everyone, and it lets the submarine centre backs and kind of push you back. And image 22 has a couple of images. I mean, image 21 as well in one sense, but the image 22 specifically is Taylor to Samarin left centre-back coming all the way into Celtic's half and pushing up on Aaron Moy, who's coming deep to try and receive the ball. It reminded me one thing It reminded me of Calvin Bassi on Tom Rogic in the in the, you know the, the cup semi-final, and how he would just be right onto Roger's back. Rodgers have to go back. He just couldn't. He was so aggressive and so. On. And that, you know, he was one of two centre backs for for Rangers at that point. And I think, I think yeah. <laughs> but this is the issue when it comes to if you face the high press and your number eights drop deep, but your centre backs is not able to take advantage of mm-hmm. the opposition's like defence moving high up because they don't have that confidence in playing out and then you get you get hemmed in you get blocked in you get pushed back and you just you end up going long and losing the ball and that's what Rangers want to do and it is a bit worrying that Celtic weren't kind of managing to problem solve their way out of that against again Sam
0: so we, we know we know we're going to face this this, this diamond in midfield. at the tip of the diamond, the, the two number eights, and then Lindstrom says he's probably going to be back. So if not him, maybe that Raskin that they've just signed, sitting free free role to kind of uh, cover up any any mistakes. We we know that our centre backs are, are still not going to have this confidence to do what you want them to do. Who are the two number eights that you play in this cup final, and what do they need to do to get by? or to to be effective against this uh, this Rangers midfield, try to
1: block them? Well, this feels like picking on them, but it definitely can't be David Turnbull. Right, so the the list is, I've I've sent you three videos, Graham, right, in terms of because it was just easier than to do with screenshots in terms of I think the main issues with, with David Turnbull. So we Can maybe just play them together now, but it, it, it's, it's essentially the first one is it's a lot of what we've been talking about. You know, it's, it's Greg Taylor sending the ball to out wide to to get this point. It's Jota out there, and when the ball goes wide to Jota, David Turnbull's got is that centre back jumping up on him again. But as you can see in that video, there's loads of space for David Turnbull to attack behind him. But David Turnbull stops up. He stops up. He's on line, in line with Jota. He stops up. He, I mean, he completely stops up. Greg Taylor have to run past him to attack that half space. Um, but he goes really... I mean, he's, he's on top of Jota's you know, toes, really, when he gets the ball. And when he gets the ball, he's got the St-Marin midfielder right on him. Then he turns back on his right foot He uses his right foot to try, you know, or on the left hand side. Then he wants to turn, but because he doesn't have a left, he (laughs) tries to turn with his right foot and he gets this, like, he loses the ball on his halfway line. And it's also, it's only a really long toe by Cameron Carter Rickers that stops Samir being one on one with the goalkeeper. David Turnbull doesn't make the run. He runs up to Jota to take the ball off him. Then when he tries to to turn, first it's a slope because it it seems he can only turn. Like by using the, his right foot to turn with the ball, and it's just it's just his issues in in one clip. And I think you know the the other video I, I sent you as well. Again, it's, it's kind of similar where he he's so static. I mean, he can make that run beyond the centre back when I mean, Jota when the ball goes out from to Jota from Greg Taylor, but he doesn't. He, he, he just stands there in line with it. And the last video is again. He receives the ball from Greg Taylor, just behind them, um, somewhere in midfield tree. You know, so he's, he's got behind him, He receives the ball. The centre back hasn't jumped up, so he's got about fifteen twenty yards in front of him, down to the to the defensive line, who's, who's backing off. But he's got a, like the I think his back is right in his back of him, and instead of just trying to drive with the ball straight ahead against the defenders, he. He wants to turn and he wants to use his right foot to turn backwards. And then he's dispossessed again straight away um, because he doesn't have that burst of acceleration and he's trying to turn again. Sam Raimlin wins the ball and sends the ball over the defensive line. Joel Hart has to come out and kick it out. And I think it's... I, I honestly feel pity for David Turnbull when I see him now because uh, it's just... He looks lost. I give my opinion. He's visibly almost upset at times with his own inability to do things. But yeah, he's oh, he doesn't make the runs. He seeks the ball too much. He's too slow on the ball. He tries to turn. He's incredibly like right f- one foot. And he's just, I, mean, I don't I think it's ever going to be a discussion if David Turnbull's going to start to get she's not, but I just don't. I think this is one or another just nail in the coffin for me, uh, for David Turnbull.
0: So I made my opinion kind of clear on the reaction. Uh, I answered the question. I'm going to ask you now: uh, Do you think David Turnbull has improved in the uh, 18 months or so under Ange?
1: No. Well, that's maybe I have to go watch, go back and watch some of the games because I, I remember being frustrated with him when he played game after game after game. I can't remember. It was maybe it was this bad, but. It's, uh, I felt he had better moments. I think okay, he's been injured and so on. But he, I'd, I'd honestly, I'd probably take the David Turnbull that was there when Ange arrived in the first few months, and I have now because is you know he, he's got one thing. Like, like he's, he's got he's got a good shot, on, but he's he's way below And that's like you know we'd come on here I talked a lot about you know Aries Moy and, and things like that, and I've kind of said before look. I mean, you should just give Aaron Moyes minutes minister David Turnbull because he's young and he's Scottish. And but to most I'll, I'll happily admit it, I'd probably be wrong because I'd, I'd start Moy over David Turnbull. Well. I, I honestly would because it, it's just it's just not happening at all. And he's is Aramoy. uh Summerman has, has has a better game than David Turnbull, like easily, easily, and it's. And you know we can come on to Arroyo, but it's, uh, it's it's a shame, but it's uh, I just can't see it happening.
0: So it's not David Turnbull against Rangers in the cup final. Who is it? Who's the two, and what do they need to do to make sure that we don't have the kind of stagnant performance that we had the last time?
1: I mean, for, you're not going to be surprised to hear this. For me, it's for me almost at remote, For me, it's Matt O'Reilly and reality, right? And I think, and, and I mean, and having said that, I mean, I, I think it's a lot to do with the right-hand side as well. Because if you do have Alistair Johnson, Aaron Moy, and if, say, Keogh isn't ready, and you have to play Meira through the middle, and maybe a then, or maybe Haxabana, but Abada seems to be ahead. That right-hand side is is just, as I said before, if Aaron Moy, say with Johnston and maybe Jota or, or somebody else beside him, it's it's then a different proposition than that axis kind of thing. So when you have like the, the three of them on, on one side. Because I do think in this game, you know, one of the things we're gonna bring up was, was Leal Abada as well. Because there was at least a couple of times when he got the ball out wide. Moy was in the kind of space behind the Summer's midfield tree, and Taylor, the left center back, had jumped up him. And Aaron Moy, bless him, he tries to get beyond Taylor and get into the right space. Right? And and this is what happens for the goal as well. And Abaddon makes the pass for the goal, but two, three times in the second half. Aaron Moy, you know, he's, he's probably really tired by this, but he does make the run, but he doesn't get the ball. So I think that when you have a player like Moy, who I thought he was a little bit too static, he, he wasn't great on the ball, which he usually is, Aaron Moy, in terms of his passing on some run, but when he does make those runs, you need to release him like a bad of those ones, but he doesn't do it in the second half. And I think of issues. So I, I think there's situations where you can, you know, the things Aaron Aramoy can't do can be made up by other players. But see, I think, I think be honest, a large part of what was the issue from the 29th minute to the 60, like uh, to the triple sub was that you had that right-hand side. And that I think Maeda through the middle, even though I, t- I thought he was really good, he works hard and he's he's you know he's a bit more of a Kyogalite. Mayda is so effective out right now; he makes those runs so well. If you have Joe Anabada, there you don't get the same intensity and and I think timing of those runs behind. So I think you're losing something. But I am coming to answer your question, Graham. In terms of <laughs> who I want to play, I I want to play Rio Tate and, and Matt O'Reilly. A lot to do. Because I think they have very, very good movement in the final third. I think they seek those areas. I think they are able to get Celtic into those kind of areas between the midfield and defensive line a bit quicker. They have good movement. They make those run beyond, right? But the other thing, and but I mean, I mean, he tries those runs. He, he does to me. I mean, for the first goal, so you can you can maybe. I probably wouldn't, but you can make a case for Aramoy, you know, offensively in those areas. But I think what, what people maybe forget against Rangers is that while they go longer occasionally, Celtic will have to actually press in an organized block against Rangers because Rangers might, I think, with with their new play there's a rush game. he is a lot better on the ball as as a deep pivot. So if Rangers are trying to play out. What Celtic need to do is a lot of work offensively, uh, defensively in that block, like we saw in Europe. So, you we go back to the games in Europe, you know, you have to, what Celtic press in a 4 4 2 block. So, what they do, they move one of the midfielders up alongside the striker. And that is a tough physical shift to do. So, Matt O'Reilly did that a, a lot, Axel did it in one game. You know, bless him, Tom Rodriguez tried to do it in, in, you know, last season. That is a tough physical shift because you need to be aligned a with a striker. You have to run, you know, sideways. If the ball goes in behind, you can't let the ball go into behind you to the pivot as well. So that's a tough physical job. The other really tough physical job in that block is the two midfielders behind you. So that's usually Cal McGregor and Rio Hotete, right? Because you're then supposed to cover a lot of the midfield, just the two of you. And you have to jump up if the ball comes behind the strikers. You have to be careful with the runners. If it goes wide, you have to follow it. If the strikers goes, Oh, we're gonna full pelt press the center back here, you have to go after them. So it's a really you know the physical shift for a Celtic midfielder be a six or eight it's, it's demanding anyway, but it's less demanding when you have the ball all the time, right? It's a lot more demanding. So if you want Aaron Moy to do either the role of what usually Matt O'Reilly does as the front press. Or well, if you say mm, I'm not sure if Maren Moyes has got that in him to go up and be up and press with the strike and then go back down, you have to change him with maybe Ri Hotati, but he's still got a huge defensive job. So again, how much range is going to try and play out or how much to go direct can be a question, but that is a very physical demanding job to job to do in that press. And I think that with all the things sorry, is what I think I would have Matt O'Reilly in there. Because, you know, it, I'm just not convinced Moy can do that job physically to the way he needs to and still have the, I don't know, I guess the energy to do stuff on the ball and do the movement offensively But when you have that.
0: So th- that kind of takes me on to another question. This is from Sean. Uh, he said uh, he'd like to know when the guy's would uh, see all given his first start having a look at the the fixture list I personally don't feel as though there's a better opportunity until the last game before the split versus Motherwell at home than this weekend at home against Aberdeen Uh, the defence has been pretty poor away from home all season this coupled with Kyogo being taken off in the last game could mean that it's a perfect opportunity for for him what's your thoughts and also my own question based on what you were just talking about with the front three if it isn't Kyogo And you don't you don't want to sacrifice Maeda through the middle and lose him out wide and have a badder come in on the right hand side. Would you prefer to see a front three of Jota, um, Maeda on the wings and all through the middle, than rather have Maeda through the middle and a badder coming in on the right hand side?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think Maeda is. Maeda to show that game how good he can be as a striker. And I think he, you know, there's things about him that I, I think he rivals Kyogo in terms of, especially defence. I mean, that ball he steals off um, the summer defender in the first. I mean, Kyogo do this occasion as well, but there's I think that was an extra intensity with Maeda. And having him in the front press against Rangers would be great. I just think in the form he's in, and the runs he's doing wide and how effective he's been. If you essentially replace Maeda with Nabada, I think the let off is the drop-off is too big. I mean the only wild card in there is uh, why not play Haxabana's end job? Because Haxabana which brings that intensity. And I think he's you might need someone like him in a game against Rangers where you get pressed because he's he's comfortable on the ball, he's strong on the ball, he's got he's maybe not as quick as a bada. In behind, I think his qualities might be needed. So ideally, if, if uh, I, I think I would actually play Job Maeda or you know, I think mm. if, oh if you see these qualities, you kind of just feel he needs a little bit more time than so. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't have Maeda uh, uh, as well, you start him, you know, he, he might, you know, really thrive in it, but. Uh, not my ideal front three would be Jota and Haxabanovich in that case
0: so you think that would be if you were thinking that that's how you start against Aberdeen and all get 30 minutes off the bench
1: yeah um, oh um, yeah if you'd think so um, I mean I guess it could be tempting to give O a start to see kind of a little mm-hmm. bit exact over that but yeah I, I, I think I would yeah
0: OK, I'm going to couple another listener question with my own. This is from Michael. Michael says, Hi, guys. Hope, hope you're well. What's your thoughts on Alistair Johnson going forward? He seems, I think he means going forward like attacking. He seems solid defensively and works hard to progress the ball in the first instance. However, we are losing out on an extra man as he doesn't seem that keen and might not be used to the overlapping. It can occasionally feel a little bit light on the right-hand side and it seems to allow other teams to double up and jotter more often. And my own question to this would be, obviously, we know that uh, Alistair Johnson has upsides and we know yep. he's got limitations. And we knew from uh, last season, we spoke about Anthony Ralson bringing good things to the game, but obviously having limitations. At this moment, the, the the player that you're seeing with Alistair Johnson, do you think there's more upsides to him than there is to Ralson? Do you think there's... I mean, we've spoken about Alistair Johnson being a Ralston plus one but do you think there is a plus one because to me they seem very very similar they they don't they're not that comfortable on the ball but they do have good things about them with Alistair Johnson we don't seem to have that kind of like um, Anthony Ralston attacking down the right-hand side, getting crosses in, obviously, which is not something ideal for the tactic, but that, that was something he was offering us. We just don't see that so much with Alistair Al- 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 Johnson. So what do you think? Is there much of a difference between the two of them? And what do you think about Alistair Al- Johnson and his attacking prowess?
1: Yeah, he's better than Alistair. I think there is. I think he is better defensively. I think he's a bit faster. He's... And... Uh... Yeah, offensively, I think he's, he's trying to seek some of the right areas, and I think he, he's got. I essentially say, I think he's got a higher potential than Ralston. So, but I, on the other side, that there is the same issues that we had with Ralston as well. as was Ralston Johnson, you know. Um, I think just overall, it's, it's just better. But going forward, I mean, maybe to tie it back into. um, some of the images again. So I think this is a good example of it. And it's a good example when you have Johnson, Abada, and Moy together. That's image 24, image 25, and image 26. And image 24 is essentially Alistair Johnson. There's a switch. There's been a switch uh, a play from the left-hand side to the right-hand side just before this. Jota came inwards, gave the ball to Alistair Johnson. He sends it out wide to Abada. At this point, Jota Turnbull and that are still are actually in the penalty box. So they're pretty much pinning those three Samaritan centre-backs. They're keeping them inside the penalty box. So you have the left wing-back for Samaritan jumping out on a batter. And then you have Alistair Johnston about 30 yards out, about you know uh, in line with the 18-yard line. And then you got Aaron Moy coming into that area as well. About twenty-five, thirty yards out, but you know, about you know, six-yard line uh, in line with that. And it says, uh, put on image twenty-five. I was <laughs> saying, you know, image twenty-four first. You see this big space between, you know, it's essentially the whole of half space in the penalty box. So there's a big gap between the left centre back and the left wing back for some reason. Somebody has to attack that space, you know be Alistair Johnston who can run instead of running but Alistair runs Alistair Johnston runs wide towards about it instead of just running straight into the half space it could be Aaron Moy who can make that dig, uh, diagonal run into the half space he runs straight out wide as well or it could be David Turnbull who instead pretty much for a good 3 4 seconds guess what it does pretty much standstill on the edge of the penalty box where that space is so open. So I think if you have Yosem Vyoranovich, I think he's quite likely to make that run into the half space. If you've got Matt O'Reilly there, I think he's a lot more likely to make that run into the half space. If you have Hatate instead of David Turnbull, that's a run Hatate does all the time. Like It comes from the left-hand side over to the right-hand side. Any one of them can make that space. It's not even about getting the ball. That'll trigger a movement. If you get the ball, great, because you're in a great area. But you pull defenders with you, you you make them have decisions. Instead of just play the ball between themselves out wide, it ends up going way all the way back to Joe Hart. Mm. Like about 10 seconds later, Joe Hart has the ball. And you go, no, I think that's, I know the question was about Alistair Johnston, but I think, again, if you have one, (laughs) if you have him, O'Reilly, and Haxibanovich, for example, oh my head on that side, you don't really notice it if you have Matt O'Reilly or, or Hatate. Then, then it, it kind of it, it makes it less. But if you put all four of them together, I think that's where the issues. Is. Mm-hmm. And I think you can apply that to CCV and Starfield to a large degree. Because if if you played one of them, you wouldn't notice those issues that much. And again, I, I think that's where it comes down. I think it was, uh, uh, as well. So. There's just too many parts that you will be fine if there wasn't similar parts around them that had some of the same issues. But you have that, and especially out on the right hand side, and that, you know, and let's not forget, you know, in this about 40 minutes of play, Celtic had one open play shot from 40 yards, one against Marin, and it was was 1 0. So it's clear it wasn't working in a lot of ways.
0: So we can't spend too much uh, longer on the game. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we move on to talk about MJ? No,
1: I mean, I think I had a couple of other images about you know <laughs> Joe Hart in terms of image twenty eight. Again, I think it applies to the same, but where he was image twenty eight when he's pressured really high, and um, this is like the end of the first half, right? And you can see, one, you can see how aggressive Samir is in this press. On the second, you know, apart part this, there's two shots in one here, but you can see even the right centre back and the left centre back for Samiran. It's in Celtic's final third. There's seven Samiran players, seven in Celtic's final third when Joe Hart gets the ball and he's pressured. But see, he can hit Dallas to Johnston. If he twisted his body, as Crenet, he could send it over to Greg Taylor. If any of those get the ball, or even if he hits Aaron Moy, David Turnbull, who's got players in the back, you got, I mean, I repeat, you got seven St. Mirren players in your final third. Match the space behind that. Celtics, there's three against three in two thirds of the pitch. If they can move that ball up. And I also repeat, you're home against St. Mirren. You're one nil up. It's the first half, All right? You need a goalkeeper to just have a little bit of confidence about them and play the ball out. What happens is he, Johan boosts the ball up. Samaritan goes right down, and this is, he gets across, and Antonio gets a head off. It's one of Samaritan's biggest chances. So from going from a situation where you have counter in so much space, when's the last time a, a, a team, a Celtic part, would press Celtic with seven players in their own, in the final third, in an open play situation? It's, but instead, your heart essentially turns it into a chance for somewhere. And so it comes back to what I said you know, there's, there's too many things happening at once in that game.
0: And it's also yeah. kind of indicative that the other teamers know our limitations and they know that they can they can get away with having seven players in our box <laughs> without well, there being many consequences. I think this
1: is the thing, Grandma, like the last couple, I almost don't want to look at Aberdeen. I just. Well, I don't want to, but I think I'm going to spend the last next two weeks looking at Racist games and seeing how they're doing that. Because, like it or not, that there will be a team and a manager that puts a lot of thought into their tactics. And I think it's, you know, and they will look at things like, how who do we target? You know, how do you do that? And I think that, that they have... A bit of a recipe going on for it, and they've had it since you know from Brokers was there, Bale was there the last time as well. So they will be switched on tactically, right? Like they might not be able to execute it, but it it is a little bit worrying that you're seeing the same issues that came up in the you know the Derby's of last season at the end of last season, and they're kind of creeping in against Samir. And I know it's not there's other players will be in there as well, but I. You really can't sit there after the, the, the final again and go, oh, it was the same issues, wasn't it? Like, mm. it's it's just, you know, and it's, I know, happy, you know, it's these things, these games take on a life on its own. You, you might get an early goal, you know, you know, it's not that, but I think we're like a year on, we have a lot better players in the system has been working to a degree, as you've seen as well, a lot more consistently, but um, I do have a little fear that you'll, you'll then, turn up against against a really good team again and the same issues will come out, like they did to you a know, large degree in the, in the Champions League, like they did against Boulder in last season, like they did against Rangers in the last few games that yeah, you might get a game like you blow them away where everything works. Like you've done against Rangers, but it's a bit worrying. Not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it's a, it's so that's the kind of mood you you get after a five win five one win <laughs> on the review. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean we, we don't we don't go for the grain; we go against the grain.
1: Yeah, that, that's what we're here for, I guess.
0: No. So I, I asked you to kind of uh, look into Mikey Johnson and his time uh, yes. in Portugal. Obviously, he's still a Celtic player, he it could be an important player because he's homegrown. Uh, we do have about 17 million left-sided, uh, right-footed wingers uh, right enough, but. He could be someone that that, that brings something to us next season uh, because I, I, I get the impression Ange, Ange likes
1: him. So, what did you what did you discover in your deep dive into yeah. Mikey Johnson in Portugal? So, what I've done I brought up some stats, and you can pretty much tell anything from stats if you if you want to. Yeah, yeah. so don't cherry pick. No, um, I forgot how many stats I got there. Fourteen. No, so <laughs> image twenty nine, image thirty, image thirty one. Um, we can go through so it, it was kind of just to have a look at because I haven't paid much attention to him to be honest I haven't watched uh, anything of him but he does have 7- you mean 140- you don't
0: watch Vitor Igor games? games um,
1: call yourself a football fan yeah no, Celtic fan so not a football fan so um, 749 minutes so he's played in the league and he's got an additional 189 minutes in the Portuguese cup I don't know that they have a league cup in Portugal Apparently, so he's he's played in that as well. Uh, 199 minutes overall. So Guimara's plays mostly a three-four-three. So if you're going to go by like in stats formation-wise, he's weirdly when he's been playing in the league, he seems to be playing in that front tree, but it's more almost like a three-four-two-one. So he's kind of like a bit because you know they have the I guess more of a wing back, so then he's him and another kind of. I guess attacking is more almost more an attacking midfielder than uh of that winger, which you can kinda i guess kind of see from its from his stats as well and his kind of heat map from the last five games yeah it's it's a lot on the left, but you can see he's it's been occupying a lot of space centrally as well, so I think there's a lot of invertedness going on <laughs> in that role as well so i mean, stats wise you know i've image between nice is just kinda giving you an idea of abada and Jota and and Forrest's stats. You know, in in the league this season, as a comparison, that obviously the huge caveat here is that I don't know if you're aware of that. The last three plays for Celtic, and uh, Celtic is a team that's quite dominant mm. in, the in the, in the in the Premiership, so they'll obviously have higher offensive stats than any player from, from Guevara in, in, in Portugal. Um, but I think you know, in terms of chances created. MJ's got 0.84 per 90. He's got an expected assist of 0.26. Um, I think Forrest and Abad it all lie between 0.60 and 0.80. So it's, it's a bit less than half of, of them. And same with chances created, it's the best. You know, um, I think forrest got 1.2. George has got 2.3. Abad's got 1.8. So a bit higher. I think kind of, a couple of things. He takes a lot less shots, obviously. And uh, Guimaras it takes about 1.2 shots, whereas Celtics wingers are you know, there and there about three shots per game. But Foul suffers, I think, it's interesting because you, you do see from his, his dribbling stats that he dribble pretty much just as much as Abad and Jota in these games, and he suffers a lot of fouls. He, he suffers twice as many fouls as any uh, other wingers. I mean, I don't think the guy in the Masons in Portugal, though. So that might be. Part of the reason why Celtic get less fouls um, and he gets more fouls there, but um, very little crosses in terms of the role he's playing. In terms of, so maybe because it's a bit more central. I mean, tackles and stuff, he, he's got more tackles per game than any other Celtic wingers, but then again, you know, he's probably expected to defend more, have more interceptions. But again, if you have less possession in a team, you probably have a bit more interceptions as well. But I think overall, like if you look at his stats, they're not... Popping out of you, and I think he's probably come off the bench a lot more than he's really starting. So, I mean, he started against Porto here um, recently, but the stats are okay. I, th- I think they're okay in terms of what we know of Guevara and where they are in the league and the, the kind of you know roles he's been in. And he's like decent creation, doesn't get too many shots on the ball a lot, tackles and intercepts. So <laughs> I'm sorry to not give you any more clear answer on that, Graham, but I don't think it is anything, you know. Amazing about the stats. There's nothing like damning in them either. It's just you probably wouldn't want them to play a bit more, f- few minutes because this is I think it's still less minutes than he had for Celtic last season overall. But I mean, it's still a Portuguese top league, and it's still he's still getting minutes and he's contributing. So it's I guess
0: is it is it not damning? inconclusive though? Is it not yeah. damning though that he? is not starting and not getting as much minutes for a team like Victoria Guimaraes? I mean,
1: I mean are not like they're, they're a bad team, and it's a, a league better than the Scottish one. I mean, I think it's ranked as the fifth-best league now, and he's, I mean, he's a lone E signing. I don't know the, the squad dynamics in Guimaraes, but there's things there you can say okay you wouldn't expect him. Like if you had gone up and tore it up, great, but uh, Probably wouldn't have given it to more minutes, but you do hope that it's the experience is getting, or maybe getting away from Celtic for years you know, so for more influences, and I'll put him in at least a decent place to like kind of come back to pre season and, and see what he can do. Because as you said, like we've had the discussion that like, can we actually bring in a, a another right back, for example, because that isn't homegrown, because. There's really, really few spaces left, um, for the non homegrown players and non Scottish players in the Champions League squad. So you, you almost need to have Tony Ralston there. Yeah, that's the same goes with Becky Johnson. Can you, you might have to bring him in to mm. fill up that quarter as well. And I think, yeah, you know, I guess the comparison you'd, you'd have to make is Leila Bada and James Forrest. And that will be the minutes he would, you know, fight against if, if those both are at the club. So, and, you know, I mean, like Justin Stan, I, I think he he has the potential to to be able to to do that. So yeah, I would like to see him back at pre season and, and you know be a part of it, and hopefully hopefully stay injury free.
0: Let's spend the last four or five minutes going on, over <laughs> a bit non Celtic stuff. Um, in particular, you you sent me this article from ESPN about the VAR offside errors and and the EPL. Uh, I believe there's been a mistake with a, a decision that was made that would that could cost Arsenal the league uh, because they dropped points and it could cost Brighton, uh, European places because they dropped points when they shouldn't have. What do you make of this? What do you want to say about it? Um, I, I listened to a clip from the Football Rambo and um, Luke Moore, who doesn't usually make a good points, made a good point about how VAR has just taken, a, taken a decision-making away from one person who has got a... Um, Maybe not greatest grasp of what's happening, and giving it to like three or four people that don't have a great grasp of what's happening. So it's uh, just going to lead to the same kind of mistakes happening. So what what did you make of that
1: situation? I mean, f- first of all, well done on listening to the football ramble in twenty twenty three. That's very boober uh, of you,
0: Donaldson. Well, uh, it seems uh, to quite like Celtic because of all the Japanese see. players. So mm-hmm. you yeah,
1: yeah. Th- thanks for giving me two minutes of R. I think I kind of wanted to. That highlighted for me because we talk a lot about how it destroyed things and how it's still the atmosphere and how you can't celebrate properly and it's all brought another element of the noise outside to it and it's still subjective in terms of is that appellant and is it not? But the thing you maybe forget is like the pure procedural mistakes of this. So the article is is, is Dell Johnson in ESPN and he writes you know the DeVar column every Monday, but I just didn't. Need to- I can followed follow that closely. How many, quote-unquote, mistakes are done in the process of putting VAR? it be that not drawing a line, and as in this case where, you know, it's that goal of Arsenal versus Brentford where, you know, it's a couple of potential offside situation. And because he, the, the VAR was struggling to get the right camera angles, he used about two minutes and ten seconds on the first one. And then he used about 14 seconds on the next phase of play. When you can clearly see from the replays that there's probably an offside in the next phase of play. But he kind of just goes, ah, I spent two minutes already. And he doesn't draw a line for what seemed like an offside in that case. Maybe because he was struggling to find an angle he didn't want to spend another two minutes. But So you, know, you still have the subjective element, as you say. You still have the, the atmosphere killer. But you've got people fundamentally not following the right process even, even though the process is shit and ruins everything. It's still not even following it. It's still making a mistake procedurally. So it comes to a point like uh, the main thing for me is always like you shouldn't be judging refereeing by video because you know, the refereeing should be on the pitch What you see on the pitch in the opinion of the referee. And overall, I mean, we're old, Graham. I'm a bit older than you, but Quite like, refereeing decisions in the 80s and 90s is Especially offside. I mean, it's horrible. There's so many mistakes. Refereeing, sure, good, yeah. what you wanted or not, it's been a lot, lot better. Referees, since I was a kid, sorry, people, the refereeing in itself is so much better, especially offside decisions. I was almost really, really impressed by, you know, assistant referees managing to, to get most offside decisions correctly in that split second. Just to, to verb increases that yeah, a tiny bit but at what cost? And mm-hmm. it's still not perfect. So I don't see anybody anymore putting forward an argument for Warren nobody wants it. It's not it, it, it's not it's just a detriment to the game in so many ways. So yeah uh, Scottish football have just stumbled after and introduced it tough heartedly and, and not even as well but as I said before like you'll end up having a real I think you'll end up having like a real selling point for your league if you go, say, hey, no war. Getting rid of it. And, 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 yeah. so, but obviously Scotland's It's, got, it's, never been, so. it's a, the
0: worst thing to happen to football since the birth of Infantino, I would say. I think that's, that's the definitely the worst change in football since I've been watching it, I think. It's just horrible.
1: And rules changes... Rules changes up until that has
0: usually been quite good. Yeah, like the goalkeeper's not been able to pass back. That keepers,
1: but even though people complain about the offside rule a lot. Offside rule used to be terrible because it used to be so black and white. The offside rule in itself is complicated. But it's it's quite good. And even the handball rule is it's, it's too complicated, but it, it was a lot worse before. Yeah. And you, you youngins might not remember it, but it was, refereeing no, and the rules were terrible. And it's, but I think it comes back to the, the fact, I've like, learned the media <laughs> i blame the pundits in terms of having this culture that Kev came 50 20 years where everything was about the referees you have to mm. analyze and say so, oh, you need var and help because they weren't clever enough to maybe talk about anything else because var is absolutely not needed you can use technology if it's an instant it's black and white goal line technology again great innovation i mean it's, it's fantastic like you know it's over uh, it, you know the, the referees watch buzzes after within two seconds perfect but yeah. unless you can get to that point, say, with off-sides, don't use sir
0: Imagine Scottish yeah. media uh, putting the same effort into talking about tactics and that they do the, with VAR. I mean, I think that was why it, the interview after the, the Sitman game where Gordon Stracking was asking questions of Ange, I think that's why so many people saw it as a breath of fresh air, because he was actually talking about the tactical elements of the
1: game as opposed to just talking about VAR decisions. And I mean, I mean Colin went to the press conference and was saying, like, you he, he, he don't have to... Even ask Ange like lots of highly complex tactical questions. you just go, you know, Ange, why, why don't you play with two strikers more or three centre backs? And you, you get a two minute answer from because mm-hmm. it's you usually just go, okay, who's 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 available, Ange? Yeah. Do you, do you feel like you should concentrate on the league now, or is this an important this game coming up? Yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah,
0: so. yeah. Well, that will do us for this week just briefly I want to mention the fact that uh, UEFA have been found responsible for the Champions League fiasco in Paris. I'm sure as a Liverpool fan you'll be delighted with that news. Uh, the official inquiry commissioned by the European football government body has found that UEFA was responsible for the, the clusterfuck.
1: Yeah, I mean again, a whole other podcast, you know I'd ask people to go back and listen to the cynical with it last season with Amanda Jax, She's from the uh, the, the fan federation down south in terms of policing of football and all that because we go over a lot of it but yeah it's it's a demonization of, of football fans uh, as you see from UEFA from you know the British police to Scottish police and it's, it's the same old story so yeah, I'm, you know, cherry podcast everybody I hope you enjoyed I d- it
0: I didn't listen to that because cool, I wasn't on it I didn't get invited to that one So
1: yeah, We were on pretty much all of them yeah. Except that one. Except that one. So.
0: Okay. so Tells you something. Yeah, it does. So that will do us for this Valentine's special. It has been romantic. It has been fiery. There has been chocolates melted on bodies. Um, I don't know what people do on Valentine's Day. Um, is that...
1: What, have you got plans, plan, Christian? Uh, you, you did cross a line when you, you melted that wax on my body.
0: Mm-hmm. On yeah. doing a podcast. Try oh. to, to melt a drifter as well, but there's too it's, much weight.
1: Yeah, don't really do a power long. It's... Yeah. Know. I'll
0: say happy Valentine to my, my wife. So, so no, no date night? No. <laughs> I've not planned one.
1: Have <laughs> you here? I know we're doing the band section at the end there and Claire's probably going livid because we're over time, but is, are you doing anything?
0: <laughs> no, no, uh, no, okay. it's not it's not, it's I mean, not you're newly gym, right? Right?
1: I've been I've been married I can't even remember how many years, so you know that's wow. Well. Like, well, okay. So, I've been married. You're not doing anything. you, not at doing you. Anything? No. Okay. no, it's not really a thing here. Uh, I'll oh, maybe okay.
0: Get, get uh, some it's not really flowers. Not an air
1: either. It's not even in air you know, Sure. That's,
0: sure. That's, that's right. right. We we will get those images that we mentioned. I think I was I was noting down the images as we went along, and I think I actually I've just written down the ones that you didn't use because I think you didn't use images twenty-three, 23. It was a and step twenty-seven. Of turn bolts
1: not getting <laughs> out to the copper shadow for Greg Taylor. Yeah, that tw- twenty-seven. No, that as I talked about twenty-seven. That's Aaron Moy. Bless him. Making a run and about
0: us not playing him in. Okay, well I've so, deleted that image, so no one's going to, going to get a C image to see the image. So it's it's
1: it's in the it's in the rundown.
0: but I've deleted it because while you were talking, I was I was making it ready for people. I'm gonna send it to you now. There we go, admin. We go. On <laughs> so Claire has just written, "All right, lads, come on." So I think that's our that's our call. I've been your host, Graham McKay. It's been an absolute pleasure, Christian. Happy Valentine's, Graham. Thank you. We've been The Review and we will catch you down the road.